Jewish Money Matters episode 235. Let's talk about financing your first home purchase with mortgage broker Rich Bond. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. Do you dream of being a homeowner? Are you unclear on what it takes to become one? And what about the current market climate? Does it mean you shouldn't buy? Nervous about the whole process? My guest today says, if you're not nervous about buying, then you haven't thought about it enough. But it's not all doomsday, he says. Actually, he's very optimistic, but he wants you to be mindful and educated. I have Rich Bond on the show, a trusted mortgage broker by many in the Houston area with a tremendous desire to educate homeowners so that they can make the right financial decision for their family. That is, as opposed to just wanting to sell them a loan. Rich actually wasn't our mortgage broker, but he recommended the person that we ended up using who turned out to be great. And I have to say, not all my experiences with mortgage brokers have been so great. So I asked him, about that. What should we be looking out for when we look for a mortgage broker? What are the things he'd like to see people have in place, financially speaking, and the common pitfalls he sees people making during the process of home buying? Why is he so passionate about helping people get financing for the home where they will raise their family, his financial challenges, and more? Rich is the author of the book, Buy a Home, Be a Hero, which walks you through the process of purchasing your first home. And he's offered to send 20 free copies to the first 20 people who fill out the form at tinyurl.com forward slash JMM book. Here's Rich Bond. Rich Vaughn, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. How are you? I'm great, Baruch Hashem. It's wonderful to see you. Okay, it's weird seeing you on video because I'm so used to getting to see you in person. Yeah, I'm like a few blocks away. <laughs> it's wonderful to have you as a neighbor and it's a treat for me to be able to talk to your audience. The treat is ours because really I, I want us to have a conversation. You are a mortgage broker and I already bragged about you in the introduction. Basically, that means that you arrange for people to get loans to purchase property. A lot yeah. of that being their first home. It's one of your, your expertise and your passions, helping people get their first home. So this is a very helpful service. And I, I want this to be, I know you're so good at educating people and I know you're a mortgage broker with a big heart. And I want this to be a real educational experience because the thought of buying a property is, is, you know, it's overwhelming. And sometimes we don't have the right information. I'll tell you something, even just the thought of dealing with a mortgage broker. When I was younger, Rich, I my first experience with a mortgage broker was not so pleasant. It was almost up there with car salesman, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're nothing like that. So why don't we get started with you telling us why is it so important to shop around for a broker itself? Like, what is the kind of person that we actually need to be looking for who actually is going to care about our financial life and not just about selling us a loan? 
That's a really great question. And I wish more people came into the mortgage process with that mentality. Mm. Oftentimes I speak with people who go to these low rate, almost self-service type websites. Mm. They get no expertise. They get no counsel. They get no advice. Mm. So they really have no idea. They, you know, they go in there like, I want a 30 year mortgage and like, okay, great. Here's your interest rate. Off you go. And that's it. That's not the experience. They don't get to learn about how do you attain wealth? How do you use your property best for you? What are your different options? And they don't even get advice as to whether or not this is good. They just get advice as to whether or not they qualify. Right, right. So it's the qualifying, just a number, you know, some some indicators might say that you qualify. But I think what you're suggesting is there's a bigger picture that we need to look at. Is that so? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, like? a couple mm-hmm. years ago, I was dealing with a young family. On paper, they qualified beautifully. Mm. Now, this young family, they didn't pay rent. They didn't, you know, they had great jobs. They had good credit, but we could see that every single month their mm. revolving debt was increasing. Mm. So even though they didn't have a housing expense, they were spending more money than they made every single month. Mm-hmm. And I counseled them. I said, look, I could approve you, but I can't. I can't morally do this because you're going to lose your home. Wow. You're going to lose your home within six months. And I'm going to tell you right now, she went to a different mortgage lender. They approved her for the home. She purchased the home and I was wrong about six months. It was eight months. What? It was eight months. They didn't know how to budget. I had asked them, hey, let's go through an exercise where for the next two to three months, you follow the principles of a spending log. You save the amount that your projected mortgage payment is going to be each month. And they didn't wish to do that. They Mm -hmm. wanted instant gratification. They wanted the house. They wanted the house. They wanted to be home buyers, but they were not concerned about being homeowners. Mm. And there's a difference because if you buy a home that you can't afford, if you buy a home where the payment and the living expenses are going to be unsustainable, you're just a home buyer. You won't remain a homeowner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What what you just said is so eye opening because is it typical, Rich? And going back to the question about mortgage brokers, like, do you have do you see other peers? And I mean, please, I hope the answer is yes. That there are others in the mortgage industry that approach this the way that you approached it with this couple and with all of your clients. I hope that's true. I do know that there are a lot of lenders who do this, but I would say that we're still in the minority. Wow. Most often you're going to get a mortgage lender who's either a higher pressure salesperson or an order taker. Or a what? An order taker. Mm -hmm. They're not much different than a server at a restaurant. Oh, you want a steak. How do you want to cook? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really not what you want. You want somebody who's going to challenge you and challenge your assumptions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's somebody who understands that it's not about the home, home buying, the home purchase itself, but rather about home ownership, like you just said. So, so you mentioned that this couple, their, their debt was increasing. Let's go through the best practices. What do you like to see? What, what, what do you want people to have kind of ready that you could say, yes, I'm comfortable doing this for you. Let's do it. You, you're ready. You know, that's a really, that's a tough question to answer, Gail, mm-hmm. because everybody's situation is really different. Okay. Tell us. I'm going to share you with you. I helped a customer, a family with a 542 credit score, mm-hmm. purchase a home. That's pretty low people. That's, that's pretty low. That's abhorrent. That's you have to normally work to get that. Mm-hmm. But I spoke yeah, to family. Exactly. I'm like, what happened? How did you get that 542 score? Mm-hmm. I got to know. And when I was looking through and listening to them, I saw there were a lot of medical collections Mm -hmm. and there was an incident in their life that happened 
it was a specific period of time beforehand they had t- great credit afterwards you could see they were trying to do things properly oh. but they had all of these medical collections that were eating their lunch mm-hmm. and we were able to figure out that you know they're good people they mm-hmm. had a really difficult time so we can help them so are you suggesting that it was still the right time for them. They, they, there was no, don't you think there may be have been an opportunity for them to wait and improve their credit score? Like walk us a little bit more in, like in this example. So in this example, was there a better time? Would waiting have helped? You know, they could have potentially gotten a little bit better interest rate had mm-hmm. they uh, waited. Mm-hmm. However, we were able to get them a monthly payment that mm-hmm. was right around the payment that they were renting a home for. Aha. Uh-huh. So now- they're putting money into equity every mm-hmm. month mm-hmm. rather than it all going to rent. Mm-hmm. These medical collections will eventually be su- uh, will eventually be settled, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a matter of time. It may be a few years. Right. Do they really wish to be paying rent for that long mm-hmm. and being exposed to rent increases? And especially because you were seeing that they were otherwise, there were other things that were in place that you were liking, like maybe there was no high credit card. Like, tell us what else was in place that made it favorable in this situation. So they look to be reasonable users and responsible users of credit. Mm-hmm. We saw that their credit cards weren't maxed out, that they were saving money every month. Mm -hmm. They had very stable jobs. Now, they did have a little bit of time off from work during the incident. Mm -hmm. So everything lined up. Mm -hmm. So, so, so we're looking, so from your perspective, what are the things that we're looking off? If somebody's listening, they're saying, wow, I wish to own a home one day. So we're talking, you mentioned credit score. That's one piece of the puzzle. You mentioned how much you're spending, how your credit uh, usage, right? Which you mentioned savings. Of- Let, let's break these up. So credit usage is a component of credit score. Mm-hmm. So if you're using more than 20% of the limit on your credit cards, your score drops. Yes. If you start using like 80%, your score drops precipitously. Mm-hmm. If you miss a payment, so let's say you've got a perfect credit history and you mm-hmm. miss one payment, one payment, you're 30 days late once, mm-hmm. your score can drop 60 points, mm-hmm. 70 points for one 30 day late. Mm-hmm. And that's going to impact, just so people understand, that's going to impact the interest rate that they're going to get. Well, that's going to impact your interest rate. That's That could impact your auto insurance. That could impact mm-hmm. your, your homeowner's insurance. That could impact so many things. It can even impact the chance of you getting a promotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So okay. there, there, there's mm-hmm. a lot that goes on with your credit score. And let's talk about, I want to I bust a huge myth right now. Yeah. Okay. There's a huge myth that you have to have 20% down to buy a home. Have you heard that before? Yeah, of course. If we all had to have 20% down to buy a home, We'd be able to buy a home by the time our kids graduate. By the time our kids graduated from college, mm. that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, if a house is going for three hundred thousand dollars, you got to have sixty thousand bucks in the bank. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to be paying rent for so long? There are phenomenal programs that will let you purchase, depending on the purchase price, the property type, for it with as little as three or three and a half percent down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the cost of the money, the interest on the money, and maybe the mortgage insurance may be a little bit higher. I was going to say that because the bank have, wants to know that you have a cushion. Yeah. The cost of the money may be a little bit higher. You may have to pay mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. That's going to make the cost a little bit higher. But remember, you're putting away an equity every month. You're gaining price appreciation on your home mm-hmm. and you're not exposed to rent increases. 
But I will, I will, I will, I will, okay, I will play a little devil's advocate here. I love it. <laughs> but then there's something to be said. We go back to the point of being a homeowner, right? There are a lot of expenses that most people don't factor in with owning a home. It's not just your mortgage payment. There are things that you're going to need to repair, not just when there's, there's moving costs. There's so much that goes with, and once you're in the house, there's, you have to have a cushion of savings to maintain that home and that ownership process. So I'm still not so comfortable with the, you don't need to have so much money in the bank. I don't know. No, we were talking about down down payment. Right. But, but so I get that part about the down payment. You can get financing without having the 20%. Okay, fine. Maybe a little bit more expensive financing. But I guess that what I'm pushing on the point is, is it really fair to say or to have, because there's that myth, right? Like renting is throwing money down the toilet. And I don't know if that's so true, because I think that has driven a lot of people to make a really bad decision and get themselves into a mortgage that they can't afford. And I think there's a lot of caution to be had and not just to jump into homeowner ownership because I'm throwing money down the toilet. Well, maybe I'm not even ready. I don't know exactly what kind of property I would like to maintain. Like there's so much to consider here. So you're correct there. And, and you know, so we haven't really talked about the rest of the money. We've mm-hmm. only talked about the down payment. Okay. So go for it. Okay. Basically there's something that's that my coach, I, I have a business coach and the organization, mm-hmm. they work very hard. They talk about the wealth attainment model. Mm-hmm. Okay. And these are the steps to help grow wealth. Mm-hmm. One is to try to get a home right around at the most three times your family's income. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second thing, and I actually like to flip these boxes is to make certain that after you have your moving expenses, your Mm -hmm. closing costs and your down payment, that you still have a minimum of six months of family living expense. Mm -hmm. Most lenders don't even care about reserves anymore. Really? They don't. It's not a guideline for most loans, Mm, but you should have six months of living expenses. And when most lenders talk about reserves, they're only talking about your mortgage payment. They're not talking about everything. Mm -hmm. But okay, great. So you got six months of living expenses, but what are you going to be eating? Ramen for six months? That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You need to be prepared. Right. Okay. You know, just uh, two days ago. So so that's exactly, sorry to cut you off, but that's exactly what I'm saying. So you might be paying rent and you might be throwing money down the toilet, but if you don't, but you still haven't saved to have that, then I don't think you're ready. And you may be on top of that, you're carrying credit card debt. So you're probably not ready to be, it might be a nice thing to own a home, but you're financially not ready. That That's correct. However, mm-hmm. if you have your six months of living expenses mm-hmm. and you're still renting your six months of living expenses, you have your down payment, you have your closing costs, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to be in the area for a little bit you know, five years, seven years, right? and you're still renting, then you need to really think about things. Right. And and if you're carrying a lot of credit card debt, there's a question, are you carrying it or are you using it monthly? Like, you know, our Costco card, we pay that thing off probably twice a month, mm-hmm. but that's where we do all our spending because I get a rebate, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. but it's got to be manageable. You know, if you've got you know tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt and you're only chipping away at the minimum payment every month may not be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Now, one other thing I do wish to point out is many of the uh, the wonks, the, the folks who know a lot about real estate and properties, they're estimating that within the next year or so, the average rent is going to go up about $300 a door. That is a lot of money for most people. 
$300 for your apartment that you're renting, your condo you're renting, your home you're renting. And that that's due to a few things. One, a lot of folks didn't raise rents during COVID. Right. Two, rampant inflation. In fact, this morning's numbers just came out. I think it was 7.6%. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely devastating. And the treasury markets, mortgage-backed security markets are reacting really poorly. Interest rates are going through the roof. Mm-hmm. And as they're doing that, that will also cause rents to increase mm-hmm. because mortgage payments have been, sorry, rent payments have been kept artificially low because mortgages were so cheap and people didn't want people to leave. Mm-hmm. Right. So what this is suggesting is people, maybe it is time, regardless of the fact that the interest rates are going up, it might be time to really look at your finances and v- visit the, uh, the, the possibility of purchasing a home. It, it absolutely is. And you know, we're talking about interest rates being high. We're in the mid forest. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the early 2000s, people would name all of their children, whether they've had them already or not had them yet, boys or girls, they would have named them after me if I could have gotten them a 6% interest rate. Okay. So right. these fours are great. You know, my dad bought his house, I think it was 1299. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, historically speaking, we're doing really well. So, so this is an interesting twist to the conversation. Um, I guess you are suggesting that it's that, that people take it seriously and you just gave us the, the, the things in your estimation that we need to have in place. So don't worry so much about the down payment, but do make sure that you have a savings cushion. Do make sure that you are on top of your debt, that you have, you know how to utilize credit basically. Um, and, and, if there's something in your credit score, it needs to be, you need to be able to explain it, right? There needs to be. There needs to be a good explanation, not, oh my gosh, I forgot that one. Right. That's just a crappy explanation. Rich, going back to something that you mentioned um, in terms of the quote unquote formula to build wealth, you mentioned having, buying a home that is three times or around three times your family's income. Can you, what, what's the magic formula there? So it's really a rule of thumb, but generally mm-hmm. speaking, and this is going back to the you know, seven, eight percent interest rate times mm-hmm. when your home is right around three times your family's income. Mm-hmm. Chances are that you're going to be, your payments are going to be low enough that you're going to still be able to have your savings. You're still going to be able to have, you know, pay for all the different expenses mm-hmm. that you have to pay for, be able to pay for your home and live a good life. Okay. So we're looking at capping it at that basically. And once again, it's a rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. So don't take this and go, well, Rich said sometimes, sometimes three and a quarter percent, sometimes only three and a quarter times, sometimes two times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just, it really depends on your individual situation, but it's general guideline. Okay. Yeah. I know this is good. It's good to have a benchmark. All right. You know, when we talk about refinancing mortgages, Rich, because you already mentioned <laughs> the, um, yeah, you already mentioned that, you know, people get comfortable with the 4%. It's not such a big deal. Right. And there's, there's, this conversation also happening. Maybe it's a, maybe those of us listening who already have a mortgage, you know, there's a lot of talk of this might be as interest rates are going to keep going up. It might be a good time to refinance, especially if you have a variable rate. So walk us through that because I may have just pronounced words that people are like, what is she talking about? Okay. That, that's a great question. Actually, I want to back up one step mm-hmm. from your question. Mm-hmm. In the last week, at least twice a day, mm-hmm. I've been hearing from home buyers, when can I refinance? Mm. Now, they don't even have the house picked out. We're working on getting the loan approved and they're already thinking refinancing. Wait, what? I don't get that. How's that? What? what? What's the logic here? The logic is they're thinking that these 4% rates, the four and a half percent rates, this market that we're in right now, they're thinking that this is the anomaly and sub three, sub 3% is the norm. Oh, I so see. I, I, I want to throw a bucket of ice water on you right now. If you think that that's your perspective, 
we've been getting money on sale for most of the last 12 years. Mm-hmm. The average normal interest rates are going to be six to 8%. Mm-hmm. So don't think that re, you know just because you're buying a house at four and a half percent, you know that rates are going to be three percent or two point nine nine in the next year and change. Well, yeah, that's certainly not the way it looks like. That's not happening apparently. <laughs> it, it's not, or at least it doesn't seem like it would be. But we keep hearing that from customers. Mm-hmm. So don't be buying a house going, well, you know, I can make this payment for a year, and then when rates go down, I'll refi. That is, that's not happening. I don't mm-hmm. want y'all to think that. Mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. If you've got a rate that is an adjustable rate mortgage, it's absolutely time to lock it in. Uh, even if your interest rate is going up, because we just see rates continuing to go up. The Fed chair, the, the president of the Fed, one of the presidents of the Fed today said that he wants to see four interest rate hikes before July. Right. And he said they may even do it between meetings. Mm-hmm. So the market is just absolutely spinning right now. We want to make certain that we can lock in our savings. Right. So that is for those of us. So that is for people who have a variable rate, right? Correct. Now, if you've got an adjustable rate that's above 6%, 5.5%, you also may want to look at refinancing depending on how long you're going to stay in the home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you've got, let's say you've got a 3% interest rate, but you've got a home equity line of credit that's got a huge balance and it's not fixed, you also want to look at that as well because you don't want to be in a situation where you can have that part of your mortgage spiral out of control. Mm, Wow. This is an important point. Okay. So now here's my next question. And I know this might not be your, um, I mean, your expertise, but still you are in the, in the real estate market. So we talked about the cost of borrowing, borrowing, and we talked about what to do about that. And you talked about the renters, the, the rent, the price of renting to go up. What are we going to be seeing in terms of real estate prices, purchasing homes? Cause we, we, we've just been seeing prices go up, 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 up. So is that going to continue or is this going to suppose, is this going to settle down a little bit? What do you, what do you think? It's a really great question. And it's a difficult one to answer with certainty. Mm-hmm. By the way, if anybody tells you they have the right answer, I would run. <laughs> I, I've been listening to forecasts from different people. Number one, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. This is not 2008. Thank you. Okay. Okay. This is not 2008. The fundamentals behind what happened in the real estate market in 2008 were entirely different. Mm-hmm. At that time, you almost didn't need a pulse in order to get a loan. There were these crazy loan products out there where people were able to purchase a home and get cash back. Uh huh. So like, you know, you'd go out in California, you'd buy a half million dollar home, you'd get a loan for 625,000, walk away from the closing table with a hundred thousand bucks. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. And so you're like, oh, hey, I don't have enough money. Let's go buy a bigger house. Mm -hmm. And and this would happen over and over again. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. was part of what was pushing the price appreciation then was just the relative ease of getting credit without having any sort of credentials, without having good credit, without having to prove income, assets, et cetera. This market, we've been a lot more conservative when it comes to the loans that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And this market, let's talk about greater Houston. I I realize this is like an international podcast. I'm more, I'm more of a I'm more into the market in greater Houston. Let's talk about Houston. By the way, we love Houston people. If you want to live in Houston and you know, it's funny that we're having this conversation because when you said, when I, when I reacted to your, well, you know, you don't have to have 20% down. You don't have to put 20% down. My brain went to 2008. What do you mean you don't have to put 20% down? That's crazy. (laughs) So greater Houston, 
we have a challenge here. We have not been building enough homes since 2008. We've only been building at 12 to 15 percent of the the needed new homes Mm -hmm. for our organic population growth. Mm -hmm. That doesn't include all the people who are running to Texas from places like California and New York. Uh, You know, like me, I came from California back in 2002. Right. All these folks who are coming in here, we're also not building enough homes for them. So we are years behind in inventory. Mm -hmm. We did for a while have a glut of apartments, but that's really been taken out as well. So we have a very tight market. We're going to continue to see appreciation. They're estimating in greater Houston, 11 to 17% just this year, despite increasing interest rates and three to 5% per year thereafter for the next seven to 11 years. Wow. And and just to give you a little context Mm -hmm. that those projections come from a mortgage insurance company, a PMI Mm -hmm. company. They're the ones to take a first loss on any loan that goes into foreclosure. Mm -hmm. They're the most conservative. They're the ones that were calling the 2008 crisis back in 2005 and six. So I guess what you're saying is good news for you and I, because we own property in Houston. (laughs) It's great news for us. And, And I think that we are going to continue to see property values increasing relatively um, across the nation. Mm-hmm. The big question is, are wages going to keep up? Right. And will this will the Fed be able to control inflation to a point that people are not going to be priced out of living? You know, folks who were barely qualifying for homes when they bought them in the last two years, with the cost of food going up, the cost of gas going up, the cost of groceries going up. Yeah, that's going to be more challenging. It's not all doomsday, people. It's not. It's, it's not. No. No, and I, I'm actually really. I, I'm an optimistic guy. I, I know you. you know, I think that we're doing great things for folks, but we have to be cognizant of the fact that prices are going up. Right. So, people, we got to get creative and start making more money. Yeah. <laughs> so, talking about that, let's talk about your upbringing with money because, um, as you know, as you know, so much of the way we think and we speak and we behave about money has to do with what we saw in childhood, what we experienced. So, what are some of the lessons that you learned about money growing up, whether negative or positive, that you feel have shaped the way you are with money today? I think the first and biggest lesson was make more money. Mm. Uh- <laughs> what we just said. Tell us more. How? I come from an entrepreneurial family. Almost okay. everybody in my family were self-employed. They had their own business. They're salespeople. We, we just, we wake up and we breathe. How do I create an opportunity to, to get, uh, today? Hmm. That is just, so that's sort of been ground into my bone. Mm-hmm. And we're really excited to make opportunities. Now, how has my perspective shifted though? Mm-hmm. I used to chase the money. And mm-hmm. that's like having the worst breath in the world. Nobody wants to be within 20 feet of you if you're chasing the money. I was going over my goals with my coach earlier this year. Yeah. And my goal was not focused on how much money I could make. Mm. He was actually really surprised because my focus was on how much Sadaka I could. Mm. Isn't that such a powerful motivator? It really is. And it's like, okay, if I can do, if I can give this much Sadaka, everything else is going to take care of itself. Of course. And so that was one of the things that was not really hammered into my head as a child. It was something mm-hmm. I came to later on in life, thank God. Um, you know, the other part is that you just, you have to work hard. You cannot be afraid of hard work, mm. but you have to love the work that you're doing or every day is going to suck. Yes. Yeah, so important, which brings me to how did you then end up in the field of, because I know, again, it just, just listening to you in this conversation, you're so passionate about helping people get the right loan for their family and helping them go through the process of home ownership. How, how did you get into this? I got laid off. 
Okay, talk more. <laughs> you sometimes God does the best things for us, right? <laughs> exactly. I, I was working for a commercial bank. I was laid off. Mm-hmm. I was laid off 11 months before my entry into the Bear Stearns Junior Investment Banker Program. I know it very well. Very familiar with the program. Because <laughs> I worked across the street. So all, either my best friend was in the program and I was in the program across the street. So there you go. Yeah, so the program was supposed to start in June. I got laid off on July. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I need to be able to do something. What can I do for just a few months? So oh, I'll become a mortgage lender. I did that. Yeah, that's what I did. Uh-huh. I couldn't figure out anything else. I'm like, I'll just become a mortgage lender. And I actually spoke to the guy who hired me. And he said his biggest fear was that I was going to look for a better job and leave within a few months. It turns out I loved what I was doing. I loved helping families establish themselves. I loved helping build communities, mm-hmm. build security and safety so much that I've never looked back. Mm. You told me once that your family tended to move a lot when you were a child. Is we that did. so? We did. Uh, we moved a ton. And in addition to that, my parents were divorced. Mm-hmm. They lived about an hour from each other. So I would spend a weekend at mom's, a weekend at dad's, a weekend at mom's, a weekend at dad's. It was tough to make friends when you're never consistently anywhere. Mm. There was no little league. In fact, I remember one year I went, I took my $5 allowance and I went to the local park and I signed up for the summer little league. And my parents were like, "Mm -mm, you can't do that. Can't do that. And so I think that if we help people get a home, if we help them get something that's affordable so that this way they don't have financial struggles, which create a lot of stress in a marriage Mm -hmm. and that creates a lot of family breakup. Mm -hmm. If we can help them do that, then kids are going to have a much better life and it's just creating better futures for our kids, our community, our country. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, it can't it can't be that you were so perfect and so savvy since you were a kid. You got to tell us some challenges or failures so, with money that you've had to overcome. <laughs> I mean, the July, credit card payment missed. Please tell us. July 7th of 2008. Oh no, you know the date. Okay, what is it? I lost absolutely everything. What? Okay. Everything. What happened? Everything. Mm-hmm. It was like a really bad country music song. Mm-hmm. I was working for Indy Mac Bank mm-hmm. and we were just about to be sold to another company. It was going to be great. We were going to be doing really well. And we were called onto a conference call. The bank was taken over. Mm-hmm. It was taken over by the FDIC. Mm-hmm. Now, not being smart about money at the time, I did not diversify. I had all of my money in either the 401k invested mm-hmm. in IndyMac, loved the company, and I believed in it. Oh, it gets worse. Yeah, hell, it gets so much worse. They oh, also let, had. A- let, let me just even break that further for for listeners. Okay, what he just said is that all of his investments, his his long term investments, were in so in shares of his employer. Oh, it gets worse though. We also had a non qualified retirement plan. Mm-hmm. And that non-qualified retirement plan, you could put as much money as you wanted in. There was no $19,500 limit. Mm-hmm. And that was also all invested in the company. Oh my gosh. So I lost low mid seven figures that day. Plus I lost my job, my insurance. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was trying to be really responsible. I was only taking a very small cut of my commission and putting everything else back into savings. I lost it all. Wow. And that was the best day of my life. Because? Because I realized that that was the day that I started realizing that it comes from Hashem and not from me. Mm. And yet, what, what, that, is a, that is a big realization and a powerful lesson. That was but an then, expensive one. <laughs> it's an expensive one. Yeah. But does that, that, does that negate the saving and investing? 
So it doesn't negate the saving and investing, but you have to be smart about it. You need to diversify. I'm not a financial planner. Mm-hmm. I don't play one on TV. <laughs> okay. But what I can say is you need to have diversified investments. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. You know, but also it sounds like you weren't liquid, like you were do you were investing all your money. So you had a really supposedly solid, you thought it was solid long-term plan. But if you lost your income, you didn't have that cushion that you just told us 10 minutes ago, people you want people to have. So I had a very small cushion mm-hmm. and laughably small, probably two or three months. Two, right. And you know, two or three months isn't going to get you far when you have to figure out, okay, everything I've been doing has changed because you know I used to be the guy who would buy loans from mortgage lenders. Mm-hmm. So going out and starting as a retail loan officer again, mm-hmm. trying to help folks, that was extremely challenging because everybody I knew was my competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had to start all over and it's been a beautiful journey. Wow. Wow. Yeah. The entrepreneurial journey. So, so, so what, what now, what happened now when you finally got back on, when you started changing your life right then? Like, how did you, how did you rebuild it? Like, did you start saving aggressively? Like walk us through that process of like, you said before that you're very into building wealth. So how does, what is that? What did that process look like for you at the beginning? Let's see. Um, at the beginning, it looked like uh, essentially having to couch surf mm-hmm. for a little bit, trying to establish my business and failing multiple times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. Not at the time. At the time, it really sucked. Right. But it's wonderful. Uh, the first thing I do is I max out my 401k because it really takes very little out of my check. Mm-hmm. So I don't even notice that. Mm-hmm. The next thing is I like to have money squirreled mm-hmm. away, whether it's pictures of dead dudes on paper, whether it's in different accounts that are a little bit more challenging for me mm-hmm. to get to, because I don't want my money to be too liquid or I might do something stupid. Right. I right. want I want, I want it to be two or three days for me to get it. Yeah. 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 I don't want it at arm's length. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to cool. I, I need a cooling off period. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, 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 that's, that's very smart. Especially when we're talking about that cushion, like that cushion is not for when you have an impulse to buy, you want to have it. not away. for the new TV. Yeah. It's not for the new TV It's for you to think through things. Although, you know, then when, when, when people, when you, we want something, then we could have a shorter term cushion for, for a specific goal. You want a new TV. So have a sub account just for your new TV. <laughs> We're actually doing something similar with a cruise that we want to take next year. There you go. You plan for it. And that's that's money that's been set aside. So you talked about the concept of charity and that becoming a really big why and motivator. I'm curious, um, how do you think overall your your Jewish observance has impacted your money mindset and your management and maybe even that career, the, the way you work in business? Um You know, I think that the way that it really has impacted me most is that I'm not looking at me. Mm. I'm I'm not looking at me. I'm not looking at what I can get. In fact, you know, you can attest to this because I'm sure you've heard stories about where I told people no. Yeah. Where I've said, hey, refinancing is not a great idea for you or buying this house isn't a great idea for you. I'm not thinking about, hey, how can I make money? I'm thinking Mm. about, hey, how can I help somebody better? Mm. And, And part of that is just that, you know, we have to give good counsel. And it, it, it says, I mean, you know, it, it says, don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block for the blind. Right. And I realized that in my practice as a mortgage lender, those who come to me are mostly deaf and blind. Yeah. And so I, I have to be very clear and I have to clear the path for them to make them 
to enable them to make their right choices. It's so refreshing. It's so beautiful to hear. And, 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 and I'm sure you can attest to the fact that it's, it's probably brought you so much more money at the end of the day, right? It's that you're not missing out. You're not by doing the right thing, right? And trusting that the money's not coming from that person. I still have to do the right thing for them. I'm here to serve them. The money's coming from God. So it's not going to be an obstacle. So, you know, I, I don't look at it as the money coming to me. I look at it, it's, it's that much more tzedakah I can give. Mm-hmm. One of the neatest things, I remember a, couple, a few years ago, I was so excited. I messaged my manager. I was like, hey, I was just doing my donation, my tzedakah donation for the year. And we were able to give 22000 mm-hmm. And that was just the most exciting feeling. And thank God, you know, we've been able to increase. Uh, you know, and now I'm actually looking at having to get more strategic mm-hmm. because I feel like I've been using my tzedakah like margarine on toast. Mm. And I've been spreading it thin everywhere and really not having, you know, Shoshana and I have really not had the impact that we could have by being more strategic with our tzedakah. Wow. That's so amazing to to hear. So, so Rich, before I wrap it up with the Jewish Money Matters fill in the blanks. What if you could leave listeners who are thinking of purchasing their first home with like just a nugget of your wisdom, what do you want them to take away? If you're not nervous about buying a home, you haven't thought about it enough. Ah, very nice. And, And you know, there's a book that you recommended to me years ago that actually incorporates a lot of the exercises that I've had my customers doing for years, mm-hmm. the latte factor by David Bach. Oh yeah. I love the latte factor. Yes, I absolutely love that. And it's amazing because I was reading through it and things like the, uh, the money leaks and the spending logs. Those are exercises that I've had folks doing since basically back in 2009. Wow. And I think that it's one of the most amazing things you can do for yourself and for your family. Without that, you really don't know what you can afford. Mm. Right. Yeah. So looking at those numbers that it can be so scary for so many people, so many of us, you know, I'm not going to deny that at some point in my life, it's been terrifying, right? But I think there's so much clarity that comes with it. And it's so empowering. You're right. And one of the things is, you know, like, let's say that somebody finds a lump when they're doing a self-exam. Yeah. Okay. If you don't go to the doctor and find out what it is, number one, you're going to live with the dread. Number two is, God forbid, it could only get worse. Yes. If you don't look at your numbers and figure out where you are, it's only going to get worse and you're going to get, you're going to be dreading it as it's getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. When I I talk to somebody and I'm like, hey, so how's your credit? And they say, I don't know. I haven't looked at my score in years. I automatically know how their credit is because they're afraid of that lump. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I like what you said, because the, you said, if you're, if you're not nervous and you haven't thought about it enough, it, it, it should be, it's like, it's like when you embark in a project, right? There's like that, that, that nervous feeling that you're doing something important. So this is, I think that's what you're suggesting. Understand that you're about to embark on something important. Um, you have to take it seriously. Well, think about it this way too. It's like a should right? It's like, it's like dating because mm-hmm. you're about to marry a 30 year mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Now, Talk to, before we do the fill in the blanks, why don't you tell me some of the financial habits um, that you practice, quote unquote, almost religiously? So here are the things that I do. Number one is I don't let myself control my money. What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? So when I am paid, you know, being that I'm a mortgage banker, you know, I get paid every, you know, a couple times a month, mm-hmm. you know, whatever I've made for that, you know, for that pay period, it comes into my check automatically. You know, 10% goes to my 401k, 10% goes to investments, 
So that's 20% out. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I've got some that go to my Meister account. Mm -hmm. Okay. 10%. And I normally, one thing that I have, it's a bad habit is I overspend my Meister. Mm, what do you mean? You give more than 10%? Is that what you're suggesting? I, I do. I do. Because okay. it just, it feels so good mm-hmm. that I, some, I lose track of it. And that's really, you know, that's not a smart thing to do because it says that you even have to be, even if you're giving over 10%, you can't be doing it by estimate. Yeah. You can't estimate it. Yeah. And, and, so, and, and most of us should not be giving more than 20%, like only if you're very ultra, ultra wealthy. Rambam Ramba says that if you give more than 20, you're a fool and you're going to lose everything. Mm-hmm. 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 So I, I think that Rambam was even talking about the ultra wealthy. I don't mm-hmm. know. Okay. So now, you know, so wait, so do you have it automated just like you have the investing and the, yeah, the investment and the retirement? So the, that goes into the account. Now oh. I don't automate the giving mm-hmm. because, you know, thank God we live in a community where people come by and they collect and I, I don't know about you. My phone rings off the hook yeah. with different Chabad houses and Shluchem and Mikvah projects. And so I, I've been really like, you know, I give to every one of them and mm-hmm. I'm looking at it now and I'm saying, I'm not having the impact that yeah. you should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to be a lot more intentional about our tzedakah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So what are the, so what are the other habits? The other habits that we have are that I like to pay my credit. I mm-hmm. want to make sure that it's done early. Mm-hmm. I like to keep the balances low. Um, I do spit off a little bit of money every month that goes into my reserve account. You mean your cash reserve? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that we do that I think is extremely important is I put away for unintended owing the IRS extra money. Mm-hmm. Because if they ask for it, I've got to be able to give it to them and fast. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So let's do a little bit of the Jewish Money Matters fill in the blanks. And this is a part of the show where I'm going to ask you an open-ended, I'm going to tell you an open-ended statement and you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. When I give my sir or tzedakah, I'd like to give to everybody. <laughs> People, you know, you know, whose door to knock on. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, as I said, we've got to get more intentional. So I have to focus on making a better impact rather than just giving to everybody with their handout. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd love to make more money because I can help more people, help more families, give more tadaka. Something I wish I'd learn about money growing up is money is a tool, not a goal. Nice. Yeah. It's a big mindset shift for so many of us, right? It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially we grew up in the eighties and nineties. Like <laughs> it was a goal, man. Yeah, it was. I mean, what was that movie? Wall Street. Green yeah. is good. <laughs> Wall Street. And we all ended up working in Wall Street. All right. No, no, no. I didn't get there. I didn't get there. Remember? You, didn't, you were lucky you didn't get there. You were on your way. <laughs> I was there. No, nothing, no, no hard feelings, Wall Street. No hard feelings. Okay. Money, spiritual or physical? That depends on you. Mm, nice. That depends on you. I mean, if physical. Okay. If that's what, if you, that's what you want to use it for. Yeah. But if you want to use it to help others, to give tzedakah, to help build institutions, then absolutely spiritual. Something I splurge on unapologetically is? Good coffee beans. <laughs> Life <laughs> is too short for bad coffee. Life is too short for bad coffee. Yeah. My father, my father would have liked you. <laughs> Spender or saver? Yes. <laughs> Both. Both. Both, ma'am. <laughs> Both. This is why I automate. Mm-hmm. It's why I automate because this way it limits the amount of spending that I can do and make certain that I meet my minimum savings goal. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to rely on will people. Why rely on our willpower if it's not so great? 
Even if it is great, why rely on it? You can use it for other things. Yeah, I like that. Exactly. Use it for other things. Yes, I like that. Today, I'm most grateful for my wife. Oh, good for you. And finally, she's holding a shotgun to my head right now when you ask that question. Uh. (laughs) No, no, I I am. I mean, I I know that a lot of my bracha, a lot of the blessings I have come in the merit of my wife. Mm. And, And without her, without her support, without her backing me on all these crazy things that I like to do. Mm. I, I wouldn't be able to It do didn't it. sound so crazy, but let's not get into details. I don't know what crazy things, but this sounded pretty smart and rational to me. <laughs> well, you know, some hours are exceptional. <laughs> Finally, I'm Rich Bond, and I believe Jewish money matters because? Uh, so I believe that Jewish money matters because the way that you choose to use this gift that's given to us by God determines a lot of the legacy that you leave. Yeah. If you decide that you just want to take the money and get the biggest, best, newest, whatever, your legacy is going to be in a landfill. Mm -hmm. But if you take this money, this bracha, this blessing that God has given us, and you use it to help support wonderful institutions, to build up people, to help support folks, even maybe help them start a business, what have you, then your legacy will live on forever. Love that. Thank you so, so much. And listeners, this is the time to think about home buying. Apparently, do it pronto. If you need help, you can contact Rich Bond, especially if you're in the Houston area. Rich, you, I didn't mention, but you also have a book. And I think you have a gift for listeners that we're going to make available also for them. So tell us a little bit about that. So when COVID started, I decided I had to write the, the book that I've always wanted to write, which is a first time mm. home buyer's guide. Mm, so and, needed. And it's, it's more specific to the greater Houston market, but a mm. lot of the lessons apply wherever you are. Mm-hmm. And so for the first 20 people who fill out the form and the note, the, the uh, link for the form is going to be in the podcast notes. Mm-hmm. I will send them a copy of my book, buy a home, be a hero, or if they want in Spanish and yell, thank you so much for proofreading this for me. I did. Compro en casa se en oro. Oh, very nice. Very and, nice. And, and I absolutely would love y'all to be able to get that information. To me, it's so important to be able to educate folks. Even if you go use a different lender, as long as you're walking in educated. Exactly. Because this way you're going to be able to make a great impact on the rest of your life. Yes. This is one of the biggest purchases that you'll be making. One of the biggest investments. So we want we want to make sure that people walk into that with education. And like you said, it's not about the buying, it's about the ownership. And the ownership is also secondary to, because a house is just a structure. Mm -hmm. It's what's inside the walls. It's a home. Right, right. Exactly. The impact it has in your quality of life. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Rich Bond. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Yao. Thanks to Rich Bond for stopping by. You can find him at richbond.com. That's rich, B-O-N-N.com. And if you want to get a free copy of his book, Buy a Home, Be a Hero, you can enter your info at tinyurl.com forward slash JMM book. Rich will send a free book to the first 20 people to enter. I hope this was helpful to any of you looking into home ownership and those of you who are homeowners already. Thanks again for being here. It really means the world to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. That is the best way to help the show continue to grow. As always, continue to send in your questions for our Friday Ask Yael episodes via email, DM on Instagram, or WhatsApp at 832-317-6778. I will see you here Friday. Have a great week.